This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Floods, droughts, locusts, climate change. There is a lot going on in and around us in Africa and super fast. We are all seeing and feeling the effect it has on how we eat, move around and even how we can make a living. For this reason, join me, Sophie Mbogwa, a Kenyan environmental journalist, for a weekly podcast, The Africa Climate Conversations. Africa Climate Conversations aims at helping you understand what climate change is all about, how it affects you and your family, what is being done in Africa, and what you can do to adapt and mitigate to its impacts, no matter where you are in Africa. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. Last week, we touched on the effect climate change has on sectors such as energy, agriculture, water, oceans, and coastal ecosystems. This week, how does climate change affect you individually? I'm so glad that Dr. Zablon Owiti is back with us today to discuss this. Dr. Owiti, welcome back and thank you so much for coming. Uh, thank you as well, and I'm happy to be part of your initiative in promoting, you know, uh, climate information and uh, initiatives in the region. Now, tell us a little bit of who Dr. Witi is and what you do. So, uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Dr. Zablon Witi, and uh, I'm a climate services, uh, you know, uh, expert working with uh, South South North based in Cape Town. So. My core mandate is uh, in climate uh, services and uh, the specific activities and uh, initiatives that we implement, uh, you know, include advising users of climate information on correct interpretation and application of available information. We also support integration of climate information into development planning decisions within a number of, you know, sectors. Then um, we also do applied research that assists, uh, you know, development partners, designers of climate service programs and implementers of programs with uh, bespoke uh, information to understand the social, political and institutional context of service uh, delivery. This, this really helps them to, to really contextualize their programming. We also, uh, you know, do convening and connecting stakeholders across the science policy divide and uh, for example, through facilitating new partnerships between climate and adaptation scientists and different decision making, you know. We also convene learning uh, events, bringing together different stakeholders to, you know, facilitate learning. For example, you bring journalists and, uh, you know, climate services experts to work together. This really supports the journalists to improve their reporting of climate-related uh, information. So I, I think, in short, those are the basic uh, activities that uh, we, we implement, uh, you know, to really promote climate, uh, you know, adaptation in Africa. Thank you so much. Um, and it's an honor having you on the show. Thank you. Now, a report by the Africa Climate Policy Center of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa on economic growth, development, and climate change in Africa stipulates that without action, climate change would impede development across Africa. For example, inaction could cost the Western and Eastern African nations up to 15% of their GDP by 2050. 
Dr. Uiti, is there something we can do? I agree with you in terms of uh, the impact of uh, you know climate change uh, on the economy, and uh, economies are expected to feel the impacts of uh, you know climate change. And for example, you know, on the background, we are also having changes or increase in the, the population, you know, mm-hmm. anticipated to affect, you know, food prices. And uh, even if you look at the, I mean, the insurance industry, the risks will be high. So probably they will have to increase the, the, their premiums. You know, that is another indirect uh, impact in terms of uh, you know the economic impacts on 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 the population, mm. and of course the probability of floods, uh, you know, and uh, you know weather events, uh, you know, destroying food, and that means the supply will decrease, and when the supply decreases, demand goes up, and you know naturally the prices, uh, you know, uh, will shoot. So I totally agree with you that uh, you know a lot of uh, economic impact will be expected from climate change, and of course these are things that we are already witnessing. You you, you mentioned the electricity during droughts. So when there is power rationing, then you know the the Kenya Power Generating Company they they use what is called thermal energy. That is they they burn diesel. When they burn diesel, then there is always a cost of diesel which is in in, you know, included in your bill. So, mm. so that means the, the, the electricity cost will increase, uh, you yeah. know, as a result of, uh, you know, climate change, you know, impact. If you look at the, the, the water, you know, the, the, the water system and, and uh, sector and water supply, you know, when there is no water supply, especially in the urban areas, then uh, we have water from the boreholes and these are sold by the water bosses. And uh, these are two aspects. One, the cost is high. The second one is we are not sure of the how clean the water is. So it uh, has the health aspect as well. And sticking with uh, effects of climate change on health, over the years Nairobi used to be considered a low malaria-prone area. But as rainfall increases, we are seeing high mosquito breeding and also a return of the Nairobi fly meaning that local threats of climate change will also um, threaten achieving global goals, such as goal number three of achieving good health and well-being. Yeah, sure, that is, uh, you know, really true. I remember when I was young and uh, we hardly came to Nairobi, we were told how cold Nairobi was. And uh, <laughs> every time people <laughs> travel to Nairobi, they, they used to tell us how cold it is. Yeah. But I think, yeah, things have, uh, have, 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 have changed. And again, I agree with you, you know, uh, mosquitoes, uh, you know, really thrive at a, a certain, you know, temperature range, which is, uh, you know, relatively high. So what that means uh, is that, uh, you know, generally the temperatures in Nairobi has, uh, has, has, has increased and, uh, you know, this has created conducive environment for uh, uh, mosquitoes to, to thrive. And, mm-hmm. and 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 hence, uh, you know, we have cases of, uh, of 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 malaria increases in areas Nairobi and even its environments. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something that also extends to you know uh, agriculture. If you look at uh, the tea and coffee, I mean tea farming, then tea thrives in uh, you know certain you know temperature ranges, and uh, because of climate change and uh, you know. The, 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 the areas 
that are conducing are, are shifting because the temperatures are are increasing. So sometimes they they have to move up the you know elevation to to to, to get the areas that you know uh, tea can 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 thrive. And in terms of climate change, one of the direct indicators of climate change is the temperature. If you can prove that the temperature is changing, then because climate change is caused by global warming, then that is a direct indicator. You, you, you don't need to do any other, you know, background research to to show that, uh, you know, it is connected to climate change. Interesting. We've talked about availability of food, both for the coastal region and both for um, the um, mainland, um, especially cities. Uh, we've talked about issues of energy, infrastructure, flooding, for example, places like Nairobi, cities and stuff. I'm wondering, what can someone listening to us do I think to give it a, a good perspective, I'll start by broadly uh, just explaining what can we do to address, uh, you know, climate change. Mm -hmm. Then I'll narrow down to what you can do at community level or at individual level. Yeah. So, of course, there is a lot we can do about climate change. And uh, in general, you know, the, 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 the solutions to climate change uh, impacts, uh, you know, our effects are uh, put into two big buckets called mitigation and adaptation. Yeah. So in mitigation, we mean that, uh, you know, we refer to measures to reduce the amount and speed of future climate change. And of course, we can only do this by reducing the emission of the heat trapping gases, the greenhouse gases that I, I referred to. That means mm. we will slow down, you know, rate of climate change yeah. by removing, for example, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And mm. of course, when I say removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, it is not simple as that. It has a lot of impact. And it, if you say removing carbon dioxide, it means a lot to economy of some countries. If you look at uh, the countries that are uh, depending on oil, I mean, that means they stop, uh, you know, oil production. That will slow down the economic, uh, you know, uh, development. So, but of course, at, uh, that is at, 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 at international and, you know, national level. We have other, you know, areas of mitigation like, um, you know, forest. You know, forests are naturally sink of carbon dioxide. So anytime you cut forest, then you, re you are reducing the sink, natural sinks. That means more carbon dioxide will accumulate in the atmosphere. So yeah. when we do afforestation, we reduce forest degradation, we encourage tree planting, then, I mean, we are, we are doing mitigation of, of climate change because we are, we are building a base for the sinks, which is cleaning the atmosphere. Forests are the lungs of the, the, the atmosphere, you know, taking away the, the choking, you know, carbon dioxide. And of course, uh, you know, the farming practices, the, I mean, livestock keeping, we have ways of, uh, you know, reducing emission of methane. And uh, even farming, when, you know, you are doing the plowing, uh, there is carbon dioxide which is kept underground. And uh, if you, you know, till the land, then you expose it. So uh, there are practices which are, uh, they are called climate smart agriculture, which we can do at, at a local level, to, mm -hmm. to really at individual level, like minimum tillage, where you, you, you reduce the, the, the tilling of land, but you can still do, you know, agriculture uh, without exposing CO2, uh, you know, to the 
their atmosphere. Of course, the sources of energy, I mean, in local areas in Africa, uh, you know, around 70% still, uh, they use, uh, you know, fuel from, from, you know, wood. And uh, uh, this is also has been attributed to, uh, you know, deforestation, if you do charcoal burning. So if we can shift from those to other sources of, uh, you know, energy, uh, then, uh, I mean, we can contribute in a small way to mitigating, you know, uh, climate change. Uh, with that, now I'll move to the second, uh, you know, uh, way of addressing climate change, which is uh, adaptation. So, adaptation generally means how do we live with the negative impacts of climate change? Adaptation strategies uh, can be implemented at national level, regional level, then at local level. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can. Uh, Let's say high temperatures, you, you, you know, you can have cool roofs or you can plant trees, air conditioning, I mean, to cope with the increased, you know, uh, temperatures. At the sea, you know, in the coastal regions, because of uh, sea level rise, you can basically build seawalls and restore wetlands. And of course, there are places where you have to, you know, plant or establish mangroves because mangroves they slow the impact of you know the ocean waves or you know to reduce flooding and of course generally preparedness emergency preparedness and planning uh, that takes change into account is one way to adapt to the increased frequency of of climate you know extremes and of course the capacity to anticipate plan for and reduce the dangers of uh, you know the social changes brought about by climate change mm. and of course uh, to seize opportunities associated with uh, with this uh, you know uh, changes so opportunities like uh, in, in in arid just for example in arid areas when we anticipate that the rains would be above normal then i mean this will present them opportunities like water harvesting developing you know water pumps to harvest this water such that when the rainfall, you know, ends, then they will have water to, 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 you know, to use afterwards. So that is an example of how these extremes sometimes provide opportunities because in, in normal rainfall seasons, these arid areas, uh, they don't receive, you know, really adequate rainfall to, to sustain uh, most of their, you know, activities. What about people in informal settlements? What they really can do to, to, to respond for example, a potential flood uh, event. So, mm -hmm. this sometimes requires behavior change or you know coping mechanisms, such as uh, you know these are really very basic, but they are the things they can do at at, at, at that level. Of course, there is yeah. what the government can do at uh, you know some national level, at a national level in terms of infrastructure to drain water, uh, you know sanitation systems. But uh, what can they do at that level? I mean, they can, for example, protect their homes with uh, what is the sandbags or dig, you know, temporary drainage trenches, I mean, ditches, or build their homes on raised concrete slabs. Uh, of course, because they have stayed there for a long time, they have the experience, they know the, the normally where the level of water reaches, so they can have their slabs or foundations raised beyond that level. Mm -hmm. 
or also, I mean, some of the floods, uh, they, are, they are caused because of the, the, the drainage systems are blocked. Of course, this could be the, the role of the, the city council or the county, you know, government. But of course, they, they can also clear the refuse from the blocked, uh, you know, storm water uh, drains mm. to, 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 to enable them cope with the, the, the you know, the flooding at, 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 at that level. And of course, in terms of water resources and, uh, you know, in drought where there's limited water, I mean, there are other social change in social, you know, behavior, like uh, efficiency in using water, because, uh, I mean, when there's drought, the water is, uh, is less, then they, they need to really change the behavior. I mean, in urban settings, then we may also think of retrofitting and, uh, you know, our, you know, the water system in the house, <laughs> Such that um, you know, like the faucets, the the the, the taps. You, you 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 have a tap that you you press, not the ones you turn around. You know, mm -hmm. the ones waste a lot of water. Imagine when you are uh, you know you are brushing and you know. So the one that is pressed with the knob, it only water comes out when your hand is on the knob. So you know th those are simple things, but uh, in terms of efficiency. Uh, I mean, if everybody does them, then uh, the, the contribution can be a lot in terms of uh, adapting to, you know, less water uh, during a uh, due to climate, uh, you know, change related mm. impact. And, and staying with the cities, does gardening, like um, balcony gardening, help? Sure, balcony gardening is uh, is, is is helping in in both cases, both mitigation and uh, you know adaptation. And of course, uh, you know, food security is a major, you know, uh, uh, resulting from, you know, uh, climate change. So city gardening, it, 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 it will, it will, you know, increase, uh, you know, food security, but it will also, it has elements of cooling the environment. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a scenario where most people in a, a particular, you know, locality or, you know, estate in a, an urban area, then they do that then it will have a, a, a mitigation, both mitigation and, a, you know, adaptation effects in terms of food security and uh, also uh, moderating high temperatures. And I mean, that, that will make us cope, cope with the increased temperatures. <clears throat> what about when we building our houses and instead of paving the entire pavement with concrete, can we, I, I saw somewhere um, where, instead of having the entire pavement filled up with concrete, then you have one one space that is left for green space. How can we improve in terms of leaving more space that is more green to ensure that water is absorbed into the soil? Yeah, I think uh, that, that is a, you know, one way of uh, you know, uh, actually addressing this at, in urban setting. But uh, that really needs uh, you know, a policy. I mean, at, at, at sub-national or national level uh, in, in the urban, even the metropolitan. I mean, this could be included in the building codes such that when you are establishing, you know, a certain type of uh, building, then uh, you are required to leave green spaces where you, you can plant trees, you can have, a, you know, a, a garden. Uh, just like currently we have a, a policy on... Uh, <clears throat> On, on, on water heating in the house and this is just to ensure energy efficiency and uh, you know encourage you know 
using of solar energy instead of using energy from you know the grid mm. so there is currently a, a regulation that requires that if you have a a, a house that uh, i think uses more than 100 liters per day then um, you need to have a solar the the, 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 the water that is uh, you know used in the house for like in the bathrooms should be from the solar you know the solar heater so that is a policy that is also shifting us towards uh, you know really mitigating climate change because anytime you use more electricity that means you use more water every time you use more water in, in that is in urban setting then you that means you use more electricity so water and electricity uses are directly linked because a lot of energy is used to drive that water to your place and a lot of water is used also to bring that energy you know uh, i mean the electricity to your place as yeah. long as you know hydropower is still our major source of uh, you know energy so water mm. and we are directly related you know if you use high water more water more electricity more electricity more water yeah so any savings uh, efficiency in water and efficiency in energy they benefit from you know they benefit each other <clears throat> we mentioned livestock keeping being a huge contributor to greenhouse gases what can livestock keepers do to reduce the emissions the greenhouse gas that they produce is methane yes and you can you know methane um, if you do the biogas those who are doing biogas at home they use the waste from the animals by just trapping the the waste and using it as a as a source of energy at home then you are burning it and you are not exposing it to the atmosphere actually you are using it to to, to that is also a clean energy does it have to be large scale farming or do i have if i have just two cows can i manage to actually do uh, biogas yeah if you have two cows you can do biogas so that means for those people who are in agriculture and they have uh, ruminant uh, animals they can use this available resource at home to generate mm. biogas that they can use for cooking right yeah 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 Okay. Of course, related to this is also the eating habits. I mean, <laughs> just generating the the one kg of meat, it it uses a lot of water, and besides using that a lot of water, is the the methane that is directly emitted. So when they they say one of ways as at individual level to, I mean to mitigate and adapt to climate change is uh, reducing eating habits. If you can shift from eating meat to other you know food then you are, you are you are already contributing to mitigation and adaptation because mm-hmm. i mean large scale farming is, uh, is 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 for generally for beef so if the demand goes down then the number of livestock will also will reduce sticking with behavior change probably that means cities also adopting new behaviors such as cycling and walking more often but then that goes deeper into the transport infrastructure within cities right of course uh, when we talk we go into transport sector there are a lot of elements that we might want to discuss what you are saying non motorized transport i mean change in behavior generally like carpooling if you are you live in the same estate and you come to town you know a group of people each of us don't need to drive their cars to town we can do what is called carpooling and say this week we'll be using your car and, you know the three of us we don't use our car so every week you only use one car instead of four cars i mean those are, those are behavior changes that uh, you know contribute to you know a mitigation and reducing the emissions of course the planning of the city like uh, you know 
what is called the, the, the bus rapid transport that uh, have its dedicated lane and you know it carries more people than having several you know buses uh, you know small small ones so th th those are ways of and light rails also as well within the towns they they did congest the road they make people really you know not everybody use their cars to town so I mean, we are still far from reaching those, uh, but if you go to developed world, you, you witness how you know, they work and even non-motorized transport. In developed countries like, uh, you know, Swaziland, Geneva, if you go there, you are amazed. Like, most people are driving to, I mean, are cycling to work and, uh, you know, yeah. use only cars probably over the weekend for family outings. And, uh, yeah. But of course, the accords, if you look at the road infrastructure, they are provisions for uh, you know pathways for cyclists those who are you know walking and you know motorcycles so i mean it is provided for but it also depends with the attitude you know it, it needs some attitude dr witty thank you so much for your time and sincerely appreciate you coming over and um you know taking your opportunity this opportunity to take us through uh, the definition of climate change weather global warming um, and also looking into, we've looked into how it affects us and also what we can actually do. And I sincerely appreciate you coming over today. And I hope that you will be a regular contributor uh, on this podcast. Oh, thank you very much for your time as well. And uh, of course, it would be interesting to you know contribute to your podcast because uh, one of our mission is to really to spread the gospel of, uh, you know, <laughs> climate change in terms of adaptation, mitigation, and of course, sometime let, in future, we might also talk about just generally climate services, so, you know, you know, uh, uh, look at it as a service, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, not not the, the scientific and impact, and, but how, how is it generated, how is it relayed, what are the challenges, you know, how is it communicated, and, you know, Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Remember, you can contribute to Africa Climate Conversations by way of asking a question or suggesting a topic you would want to hear discussed. Now, you can find details on how to do so on my contact page on my website, sofimbogwa.com. Next week, we will start on COVID-19 and climate change in Africa. But until then, kwaheri. Do have yourself a lovely safe and productive week ahead. Floods, droughts, locusts, climate change. There is a lot going on in and around us in Africa and super fast. We are all seeing and feeling the effect it has on how we eat, move around and even how we can make a living. For this reason, join me, Sophie Mbogwa, a Kenyan environmental journalist, for a weekly podcast, The Africa Climate Conversations. Africa Climate Conversations aims at helping you understand what climate change is all about, how it affects you and your family, what is being done in Africa, and what you can do to adapt and mitigate to its impacts no matter where you are in Africa. Inaendeshwa na Afripods. <laughs>